I read that book. Oh, The Trail of Blood? Yeah, down through history, we've had an enemy, and Satan has Satan has used the Catholic Church to persecute true Bible believers. And right now, we're not being persecuted at the point, but through history, it's been terrible persecution. And we have to remember from again from from the from the day that Christ, from the first New Testament church, the day that Christ arose from the grave in Jerusalem. All the way up until 1500 A.D., there's only two churches you went to. You either went to a Bible-believing church, which was called by all the names that uh, you can study in church history. They were called Waldenses. I think last week I said, my wife said, I said, uh, what did I say? Instead of Al- you said Aborigines. Or so, <laughs> Aborigines were not right. It's Albigenses. Okay. She goes, did you notice that you said that? And I go, well, no. Um, and then the, there was a group called the Paulicans. Because, and, and they're interesting, they were around Turkey. And around, I think, the 500s, they got a copy of the Bible. They did not have a copy of the Bible. They got a copy of the Bible and fell in love with the Apostle Paul and, and geared everything they did off of the New Testament, Paul's letters, which is basically what we do. And they, they followed Paul so much that they were called Paulicans. All because they read the Bible and said, this is what we're going to put in force with us. And so all these people, and they were all persecuted by the church. And so it's... Uh, um, let's go back and look at this because I said there's four ways we saw churches get started and I want this drilled in you. I want you to know this. Okay, Number one, the first church was at Jerusalem, right? And it was the night that Christ rose from the grave and they all met. They were all meeting and then the neat part is Christ appears to them. Okay, So we're talking a Sunday night, Christ appears to this group that's meeting and that's basically the first New Testament church meeting because we also said, what is a church? A church is a group that is called out and it's called to meet together. So you look at that and that, that's weird. Called out and called to meet. Called out of the world, but called to meet together for a certain purpose. And that is to know who Christ is and to know what Christ wants us to do. So a church is a called out group of people that are called to meet. And so the so if you look at a church, that's what they should be. So the first church was called out of the world. They, they, they had already accepted Jesus as their Messiah. They were meeting and they knew that. And then he appears from them because he rose from the grave and he appears to them. And so it is a called out group and they're meeting together because they're basically having what I called a, a come to Jesus meeting. Now, people use that a different way today. Like, you know, we're going to straighten stuff out and even lost people and we'll go, we're going to have to, ha- we're going to, have, to have a come to Jesus meeting. Well, that's, that's technically the, the terms of a church, okay? So the first one was that night at Jerusalem. And then how did other churches get started? And this is really key. We need to really understand this. Because the people were going back home from Jerusalem. And okay, so people at the feast... They, they, there were some of them that saw Jesus crucified. They're, they are believing that he rose from the grave. 
and after the day of Pentecost, they go back home. Okay? And they scatter all over. We're going to look at it in a minute where they go. And then we got, a, we, got, we got the apostle Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul, right? And then he's on the way to Damascus to, to imprison or even kill Christians in Damascus because they're meeting as a church. Okay, so he's going to to imprison Christians in Damascus, and then the Lord appears to him, and he gets saved on the way to Damascus. And so, how did that how did that group in Damascus get there? They were at again. They were at Jerusalem. They saw what happened. They believed what ha- that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed he was alive. So they go back home, and their churches a church has started because when you get saved, when you truly get saved. You just can't keep your mouth shut because you got to tell everybody. Okay, that's a good thing. I've been accused of I need to keep my mouth shut in a bad way, but no, that's a good thing because that's the way we should be. That's what we should be telling people the gospel. So, so that uh, so the first church, the, the other churches, people went home, and then not only that, then we saw that the church was being persecuted in Jerusalem and they were forced to leave Jerusalem and they went out to other cities and again what they do preach they the preach the gospel churches got started okay and then in the new testament when you follow paul and and the missionary team that he went with there were churches that on purpose sent people out to get the gospel out and get people saved okay so that's that's the way churches are started we see in the bible Okay, and so we talked about Rome because I made a big deal because there was already Christians at Rome before Paul got there too. I thought the same thing. I think that was the other question, Roger. I asked, "How did the gospel get to Rome?" And you're, I think you answered, Paul, and that's what I thought. But yet there were already Christians there, and we saw that last week. And so, uh, so again, how did how did those people get there? Okay. Well, uh, Pastor Brian was in here. Not Pastor Brian. Pastor Ryan was in here last week, right? Randy, I get the name right in a minute. What have I called him so far? Brian, Ryan, Randy. He sat right there. He came up and he gave me a few pointers, and so I don't know everything. So we're going to look at what he told me. He told me to go to Acts chapter two, and we're going to see what we can find out. Okay. So I had not gone here yet. He came up and asked me a few questions, and then he gave me a few things to help help us out. So Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at uh, some of these people that scatter. And Acts 2 is, what, what, what for you Bible scholars that are in here, what do we have to watch out for in Acts chapter 2? It's a transitional book. There's things in there that's kind of weird that we want to, don't want to take doctrine from, right? So let's just read Acts chapter 2 for a little bit. And, and we'll start off in verse 1 and we'll get down to about 11. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, can anybody tell me what Pentecost is? Zoe, what's Pentecost? I'm going to pick on you in this class. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What is Pentecost? Can anybody tell me what Pentecost is? Where they uh, received the Holy Spirit? It is, but what is Pentecost specifically? Where they received the Holy Spirit. It is a Jewish feast. Okay, so Pentecost, 
was a Jewish feast. It's 50 days after the Passover. It's connected with the Feast of First Fruits when they come in and bring in uh, the barley. The barley was the first thing that, that the farmers raised in the spring. And when they had... When they harvested it, they brought an offering of that barley into the temple and they did a feast. Well, the end of that uh, spring season, it's not barley, it's what do we grow around here in the spring or in the winter and we harvest kind of wheat, wheat. So wheat is typically behind barley and it's probably about a month behind barley. So Pentecost is to celebrate the end of the spring uh, harvest which is the wheat harvest, okay? And it's 50 days after Passover, okay? So it's a Jewish feast. Now get that in your head. We're talking about the Jews. Everything in chapter 2 is not to the church, it's to the Jewish people, okay? Because the Bible's written to three groups of people, right? One of them is to the Jews, the other one is to Gentiles, and the last one is to the church. Wow, you guys are on track with that. So we got to focus. Okay, keep that in mind because most people don't realize that. We have people that look at this and go, oh, this must mean us. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they... Okay, i got to stop right there. In my mind, I'm thinking, who's the they? See why I don't get very fast in my reading when I'm reading the Bible? I, I have to. I got too many questions. They is the twelve. Okay, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the apostles, they, were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so we're going to let the Bible define what a uh, what it means by other tongues. Okay, just hang on. Verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude, other people, came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his, what's it say? Own language. Own language. So that when it says... You speak in another tongue, you speak in another language, and not a, in a, a known language. It would be like me speaking Spanish, which would be a feat, because I hardly can speak English. Now, if Sharon's in here, she can speak Spanish. Anybody in here speak more than one language? Roger, you speak Russian? No. So what if, if Roger got up and started speaking Russian, it'd be a, it'd be, he's speaking in a different tongue. Okay? Yes? They were, like, I would be speaking in my own tongue, English, but they were hearing it in their language. That's how I was explained. That to happened with the two witnesses, I think. Okay, well, let's, let's keep going on. Okay. That's, that's another thing I hadn't quite thought of, but... Verse 4, though, that they began to speak with other tongues. So it's the speaking... Yeah, they're speaking in a other tongue. So if we take that, what Carrie says, specifically, what does the Bible say? It says they are speaking. It didn't say they were hearing in a different language. It says they spoke. 
Okay, easy. Oh, that's good. I didn't even have Carrie answer Wait that for me. Okay. I agree with Paula because I, I'm thinking that it was talking about the two witnesses, and they're speaking in their language, but yet everybody heard it in their language. Okay, we'd have to go look at that, but let's look at what does the Bible say here. Okay. Okay, okay. so it says, and they were, let's back up. Uh, okay, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and who's the all there? Uh, Again, we're, t- we're talking about the twelve, the, the they, the apostles, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues. So if I'm just taking that from what it says, the context is they're speaking a different language, Okay. And as uh, it says, as the Spirit gave them utterance, and, and so, and then there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, and then what's the next word say? Devout. Devout men. So these men were were upstanding men. Okay, and they were at Jerusalem. At Jerusalem. Now, why were they there? They were probably there for the feast. Okay, it's at Pentecost. Again, connect the dots. And they were there out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every one of these Jewish men, these devout men, heard them speak in his own language. So right there again, tongues are defined. And they were all amazed and they marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? So if you look at Jesus' apostles, they were from where? Galilee. They were all unlearned men. They wasn't professors. They were what? Fishermen, tax collectors. They were common, ordinary guys. And now we hear every man in our own tongue. So they just talk about speaking and hearing both in this context, wherein we were born. And then we have some people here. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and in Pontus, and Asia, I'm going to butcher these guys, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya around Cyrene, and strangers of, what's it say? Rome. Rome. Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues, the wonderful works of God. So again, it says speak. So again, what does the Bible say? And so they're hearing, they're hearing wonderful works in their own language. Okay, and they're like, wow, this is wild here. And it says, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocked, saying, these men are full of new wine. What do you think that means when it says these guys are full of new wine? They thought they're drunk. Okay, so that's the easy part. Here's the weird part. It says new wine. What's new wine in the Bible? It's grape juice. So it'd be like this. Dude, you are stoned on Pepsi. I mean, it, I mean, so they're thinking, they're not even, they, did they really think they were drunk? I don't think so. They're like, you guys are, they don't know what's going on. They just know something weird is going on here. Okay. And then Peter stands up, and I'll go just a little bit farther. And he lifts up his voice with the eleven uh, and said unto them, now notice again, 
it's saying who's there. Peter and the eleven. Again, who is that? The twelve apostles, okay? The one, I mean, Judas had killed himself, but they'd already picked Matthias at this point. And he lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known to you and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days. What's those days a reference to? Uh, tribulation, kind of second coming, okay? And of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness. Did we see that happening at the time? When, when he's saying this is, he goes, the speaking in tongues is just like Joel said, and Joel said all this would happen. Okay, the speaking in tongues was there. But none of the other stuff was there. He's speaking to a group of Jews and he's given them Jewish prophecy that's going to happen to the Jews at the end times. It's all Jew- My point is, it's all Jewish. All Jewish. No Gentiles. All Jewish. Okay, But yet, so the early church when it was formed was, was made up of Jews. Okay? And so these people are Jews. And again, put that in context. Chapter 2 of Acts is to the Jewish people. It talks about what happened to Jesus, but it also points back to the book of Joel and says what's going to happen during the tribulation time, during the millennium. Because when Jesus came and spoke, when he was speaking to the people when he walked on this earth, what was the messages that he basically gave? When, When you talk about the Sermon on the Mount, who was that geared for? Jews. Jews. It wasn't a church age deal, was it? It was geared at the Jews. And at this point, Acts chapter 2 in the church is all Jewish. And so we have to realize that all the way up until Acts chapter 7, when the Jewish leaders reject Stephen, well, they're basically rejecting God. And so there's a dispensation going on. Okay, from, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the age of law or the dispensation of law to the dispensation of grace. And so my point here is the church here truly is Jewish at this point. But yet it's going to morph into the Gentiles coming in. And so to go back and take any doctrine out of this passage is not good. Because it's not for us, okay? So I I say all that because we're in chapter 2, and I just want to make sure we get the context. But the people groups he was talking about here is there were men, Jewish people, and proselytes. So what's a proselyte? Gentile that converted to Judaism. Okay, so it's a Gentile person that converted into Judaism. That happens today even. If, if, you, if you marry someone who's a Jewish person, you could, you could convert to being a, a Jew. I don't know why you would if you know the Bible, but I mean, I, I've, I've seen it happen. I know people that have done that. Um, but yet these people are Jewish, and here's a group of people that are there. Parthians, Medes, 
Elamites and people from Mesopotamia. That's four groups that are kind of connected. And so where do you think those people are again? The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, and the Mesopotamians. Where would they be on our map? Iraq. 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 Iran. Iran. Syria. Syria. So basically, these Jews came from the Middle East. Um, up in that area, and who used to control that area? There was a world empire, the, the Babylonians and the Persians. So these people would be Jews coming from the, what I would say the old Persian empire was. So when the nation of Israel was carried into Babylon and the Persian empire engulfed that, there were a lot of Jews living there, and then they came back under, a bunch of them came back under Ezra, in the Old Testament, but there was a bunch of them that stayed there because they liked where they were at. But yet, they would some of those men would come to Jerusalem to go to the feast. Okay, so when they went back home, so what do you? If they went back home and they started telling people that Jesus was the Christ, then it starts getting scattered throughout all the Middle East. And let's look at the next group. Then there's a group here. Um, this is a weird group, and there's some of them from Judea. Do you see that in the list? It says, and in Judea. Well, duh. I thought they were in in Jerusalem and Judea. Right? Okay. I throw that out there because all these skeptics and scholars that look at this and they go, Judea should not be in there. Well, yeah. If If you're in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost, there's going to be Jews there from guess where? Judea. Okay, so we got Judea there, and then we got Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pamphylia. So with Paul, we see him kind of going through, uh, we see some areas of that. In the back of your Bible, you'll see those, and they're basically around Turkey area. Okay, you'll see some of those people on, in, on the map when you look at Paul's journeys on his missionary trips. So there's a group there. Then you got Egypt and Libya. Now, where's that from? Where's that on our map? Africa. Okay. So, we've got the Middle East covered. We've got Turkey covered. Now, we've got Northern Africa covered. And then the next one was, and people from Rome. So, oh, so there's people from Rome in this group. Okay. So, now we're, now we're 1,500 miles away. And then it says, Crete's. And Arabians. So where's Crete at? Crete is an island in the middle of the the Mediterranean Ocean. And then Arabians. So where are they from? Yeah, so they'd be the Saudis. So we got the gospel just went everywhere from this group. And, And I say the gospel loosely, but the fact that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He died, was buried, and he rose again. That part of it at least, okay? So... That's what these. So let's go back and look at this group right quick, because the reason I'm saying this, there's a lot of bad doctrine that comes out of Acts chapter two, and I want to kind of nail it down why they're wrong. Okay, and so the breakdown. Let's look at this people group. They were apostles and Jewish men, and where were they at? Jerusalem. And what's the context? Why are they there? For a Jewish feast, and the promise that was given to them. It says, uh, the Holy 
ghost would be given to them. And then uh, the sign of the promise was speaking in other tongues. But I want you to stop and look at this. The only people that spoke in tongues in this passage we've looked at was who? Only the twelve apostles. No one else spoke in tongues except them. Okay? And the message, what was the message that Peter gave these guys? The message was Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. And you guys crucified Him. But He rose from the grave and is alive. Okay? And their response is... Um, and not only that, but, but Peter, if you read the rest of the chapter, he goes back and he uses the Old Testament, he uses David to talk about Jesus, that he would not be left in hell, that God would raise him up. So he uses the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Okay, And so Acts 2, and we haven't got that far. Let's see if I can get over there where we're at. So Peter, at the end of this message... I don't want to take all day on this message, but he goes through the message and he gets down at the end of the message with these men, these Jewish men, and he says, now, verse 37, now when they heard Peter and his message, it pricked, they were pricked in their heart and they sent unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Okay? And then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay. So again, I'm bear with me. I'm trying to put the chapter together without going through it completely. But the answer is, once he told the message that, hey, the guy you put on the cross, the guy that the Jewish leaders put on the cross, he was the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is was dead and now alive. And so they go, Okay, so what do we do? Let me throw a word in here. What do we... Now what do we do? That's what the Jewish guys are asking, okay? They go, okay, so what shall we do? Verse 37. Do not... What is the context of verse 37? What shall we do... Because of what? The context is, what shall we do now because Jesus Christ was the Messiah and he was crucified and he's alive. What do we now what do we do? Okay? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Now is that how we get saved today? Do we repent and be baptized for salvation? No. Again, again, we're talking to a Jewish group in transition, and he's basically preaching what John the Baptist preached. What did John the Baptist preach when he was here? Repent and be baptized. Why? Because the Messiah is coming. That's what he preached. So, have you ever thought about this? The, the, the 12 apostles and the disciples that Jesus had? Do you think they heard John preach that, that message that, hey, guys, you need to get ready because... You're a sinful person. You're a sinful people. And yet Jesus the Christ, the Old Testament Messiah, is getting ready to appear. And you need to repent. And you need to be baptized. And as the fact that they would believe this, they would, they would believe it, but they would confess it by being baptized. Because it was an outward show of what they believed. 
kind of a little bit like what we do on this side. So it's basically the same message, except repent and be baptized because Christ already came and you missed him. Okay? So, so that's what they're saying. And at that time, that's okay, but it wasn't for salvation. Nothing is said about faith. Nothing is said about... Because again, we're talking to Jewish people. And what's the focus on the Jewish people? Jesus Christ is their Messiah. So the whole thing is, He's already come, He was crucified, He was buried, and He rose again, and they're like, okay, so we believe He's the Messiah. Now what? And so that's what they're asking here. And, and, John, and Peter just says, well, okay, you need to repent and be baptized. And so... Again, Jewish church here, okay? And then we continue on with the passage, and he says, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He doesn't say that you'll speak in tongues. He says you'll receive the gift of the Holy, Holy Ghost. And they continued in the Apostles' Doctrine, and in fellowship at the end of the chapter, and in prayer, the breaking of bread, and in prayer, and, and they were added to the church. So the thing is, this is a true New Testament church, but they haven't got all their information that God wants to give them yet because they're in transition. And yet we're focused on the Jews here and not the church. And so the, the passage is we can't take that and say, hey, that applies to us. Okay? So um, it's going through a transition. Okay? I'm probably beating that to death, okay? But the reason I men mention this is after Acts chapter 7 when Stephen preaches the big message to the Jews and the Jewish leaders, what do they do to him? They stone him, right? They take him They reject his message. Everything, if you go back and look at Stephen's message, we would agree with today because that's what God had said. He just repeats a message that God is... What God said, they rejected the message. You know, you've heard, you've heard people say, you know, when people are mean to you because you're a Christian, you're trying to witness, or they persecute you, you know, they're really not persecuting you. It's not a personal thing. It's, it's a God thing. They're persecuting the message that you're giving them. Well, I'm thinking they're doing both because we can't help. You know, I don't like when people come up against me, and I'm sure you don't either. But when we preach Jesus, who are they really fighting? They're fighting against, they're fighting the message. They're fighting the message. And that's why when you're witnesses to somebody and they want to, and maybe you're trying to give them some answers and maybe they're somewhat hostile, and, and, but they still want some answers, just take them to the Bible. Let them be mad at God. Always go back, well, the Bible says this. And somebody goes, well, you think you're the only way. Your, your God is the only way they could get to heaven. You go, just take them to the Bible and show them what the Bible says. They can be mad at God. But anyway, when, when the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people reject Stephen, then basically God says, okay, I'm going to put you guys on hold, and I'm going to go to the Gentiles, and I'm going to bring in a different dispensation, and we're going to have a church age for a while. But then what happens at the end of the church age, which we're almost there? The church gets taken out, and everything starts taking place exactly right back where Peter was at. Because everything that Peter says is going to begin to be fulfilled during the tribulation. Okay? So I'm giving you all this info, and you're like, okay. So, uh, God puts them on the shelf. The age of grace is going to start. But here's what I want to point out. The Catholic Church 
and the Pentecostals go to Acts chapter 2 and they take their bad doctrine from it because they say that applies to the church and applies to us today and you guys have been, you know, living your life for Christ for the last 2,000 years and you guys have been stupid because this is the real deal. No. Because they're taking what was for the Jews and, and making it fit to them. We call that replacement theology. Catholic Church has done that for years. They've taken the Old Testament and tried to apply it to them and they basically said, hey guys, since the Jews rejected Jesus on the cross, all those promises that God gave the Jewish people now come to us because we believe it and they don't. And they call that replacement theology and it is straight from hell. It is not good. So they get their hairs. Now the, the Pentecostals get their bad doctrine here too. Now, have you? this dawned on me this last week because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Have you ever wondered why Pentecostals are called Pentecostals? What is a Pentecostal? It's a, my grandmother was Pentecostal. Okay. She's a Pentecostal. I'm not saying, okay, so they're Pentecostal. But why are Pentecostals called Pentecostals? Something with the Pentecost? They take their doctrine from Acts 2 at the Feast of, you're right, Pentecost. I was going to say they were just bouncing around. Okay, so they get their bad doctrine from this chapter, and so their nickname, just like the Baptists have all these nicknames, are called Pentecostals because they get their doctrine from the feast at Pentecost. Someone would just start telling us what it said, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that's so weird. Even and everything. Remember what I said when the Catholic Church got its, the Universal Church started back, you know, around 100, 200. They would they would invent a heresy, and then they'd have to invent another one. Then they'd have to invent another one. It's kind of like telling the lie. I've been there. You tell one little lie, and then you got to start covering up that little lie, and you got to give another lie, and then you got to give another lie, and it seems like that's just how it's worked. And so the Pentecostals get their doctrine out of this because to be saved, there, there's something that you have to do. Remember, there's, there's two... Heresies that we studied a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 15 that everything else comes from. All bad doctrine comes from. There was two things. One of them says, the first one was, you have to do something to be saved. Okay? And the second one was, you have to do something to stay saved. Okay? In this, the Catholics and the Pentecostals Get this, and they basically say, you got to be baptized. Didn't it say that? Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. So if you see that bumper sticker on a car, it says Acts 2.38, that guy in that car believes you have to be baptized to be saved. That's not what the Bible tells us. But they'll go back to Acts 2.38, and let's look at it again. Acts 2.38 and Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the, the, the Catholics pick up on that and say, See, you have got to be baptized to be saved. 
The Pentecostals pick up on that and they go, not only do you have to be baptized in the name of the Holy Ghost, but you've got to speak in tongues or you're not really saved. And yet nobody spoke in the tongues except the Jewish people that was there presenting it. Okay? That's why I'm making a big deal out of this. And that's why these speaking in tongue people are called Pentecostals because they get their doctrine from here, from that. Okay? Okay. So, and you can lose it how? Just by doing something wrong. Okay, the, 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 Naz- the Church of the Nazarenes believe you can lose your salvation. The Assembly of God people believe. You. I, I had an Assembly of God man, and I, and I probably said this before. Uh, he's talking to me, and he, he asked me some questions. He knew I went on a mission trip, and he talked to me, and, and I'm at work, and I'm working, and, he's, and after about 30 minutes, I'm thinking, okay, dude, you're fair game now. <laughs> You've been talking long enough. So I said, so you go to a Assembly of God church? Yes. I said, and I talked to him a little bit about missions. And I said, now, you believe you can lose your salvation? Oh, yes. I said, Ken, I said, I got a Bible out in my truck. I'll go get it. I want you to show it to me. Well, that's, it, that, that's, that's between you and God. And I go, well, don't you think if it shows it in black and white how to receive Christ in the New Testament, in the book of Romans 9 through 10 or other places, don't you think that if you could lose it, that God would put it in there so you, you would know? And then I took him right back to a D1 lesson. How many of you have been through D1? Okay, a lot of us have been through that. D1 says you cannot lose your salvation. It takes you to the Bible. You go to the book of Ephesians and it says you are saved until the day of redemption. And I asked him, I said, what's the day of redemption? And he shocked me because what is the day of redemption? The rapture. And then I took him over to the end and I said, it says that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of Christ. What day is that? Same day, rapture. So if Bible says right here that you are sealed with the Holy Ghost until the rapture, so how can you lose it? Well, I wasn't taught that. I said, what does it say? He goes, well, I see your point. I see where you're coming from. But I haven't been taught that before. I want to just beat my head on the wall. And he still does not believe that. And I'm like, what does the Bible say? They get their bad doctrine and they think they can lose their salvation, but they can't. Again, you've got you to be a good person. You've got to keep going to church. You've got to keep going to your ABF class. And if you don't, somewhere along the line, you cross over and you're not saved. That's not what the book says. Again, two heresies. You've got to do something to be saved. Now, we, the only thing we have to do is have faith. But they think you have to be baptized. That's why the Catholic Church, that's why other churches, that's why uh, the, the Mormon, all these other cults jump on and they take promises to given to Israel. Every heresy in this world that we will uh, come across will be a tribulation truth because they take it out of context and apply it to them. It would be like me, it would be like me writing a recipe and giving it to Mark for, um, let's see, chili. Okay? Now, that is for you. I've given you this recipe. Okay? And then Bud comes over here and, and uh, he kind of sees the thing and he starts writing stuff down and, and then he thinks I, 
I gave it to him. Now, it'd be okay if I gave you the, the recipe too. You all, you just got to ask it. But I specifically gave it to him, okay? That's what people are doing. They're taking things that are given to somebody and they're piggybacking off of them and they go, well, that applies to me too. Not necessarily, okay? And that's a terrible illustration, but that's what I got. So there are two heresies right here in Acts chapter 2. You have to do something you have to be baptized to be saved, and you have to speak in tongues to show that you're saved. And uh, 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 basically, that was it, and, along with some others. But that's the bottom line. So, you got to speak in tongues to prove it. And it, I wonder what happens if you lose the speaking in tongues, then you're not saved. I mean, see how whack these people get? Okay, so, we've kind of went through that. So, I went through that whole point to basically say these guys that was in this list scattered and went back home. And what do they know? What's the only thing they know? They know that Jesus was the Messiah. He was buried and he rose again. That's basically it. And they know that they needed to be re- repent and be baptized because they killed the Messiah. But that's it. They don't know anything else. And yet Paul... Uh, God gives Paul the, the mystery of the church, the church dispensation kicking over, and yet when Paul get, is given the, the, the way that New Testament Bible-believing people truly get saved by faith, it's that transition taking, do you see why Paul's in such a has such a concern to meet these people and to go to Rome and go to these places? Because he wants to give them the finished deal. Okay, And you'll see that in his letters. And he goes, I long to see you that I might impart more truth unto you. Okay, So we're seeing the gospel spread. Okay, And at that point, it's pretty well throughout the whole world. So that's one way it got to Rome. <laughs> okay, See, it's like I'm, I'm as bad as somebody else. You, know, you ask me one thing and you have to find a hundred things out to get there. But... Hang with me, we'll be there. But there's another person uh, that we could look at too in the Bible. Turn over to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, the Bible talks about a man who gets saved. Now, he gets saved with more revelation than what the people... uh, I I don't know how to treat the group back in Acts chapter 2 because they're Jewish... They're believing that Jesus is the Messiah, but that's a little different than us. Because he's not just he's not my Messiah, he's my Savior. My sins were paid for by him when he died on the cross. And so there's there's the connection, but then we're still a little bit strange because they don't have the full truth yet. Okay? Okay, so I'm confused. Okay. I thought the Messiah and the Savior is the same person. Well, he is, but I'm not, he's not my king, okay? He was the Jewish king. He was the rightful heir to the king of Jerusalem because he is David's son, okay? So for a Jewish person, even though he, I mean, he is the Messiah, but he is the rightful king to sit on the on the throne. So it's a bigger deal for a Jewish person um, as far as the Messiah part as the Savior for us. He's, when he sits on the throne in Jerusalem, when Jesus does during the, the millennium, I'm going to be married to him. He will not be my king. 
I will not be subject to him in the fact that I'm Jewish and he's, you know, like, you know, like we have a president and the people of England have a king and a queen. I won't be subject to that because... The Messiah would be that. that uh, yeah. See, I, yeah. Totally right. Confused. Well, I, I am too. But. Right. So we are grafted into Christ. We, we are married to Christ. We have a different relationship with Christ than what a Jewish person in the Old Testament would have. Does that make more sense? Because the person in the Old Testament, he would be their king and he would be their God. To us, he's our our savior. He's our God. It, it's connect. I'm not doing a very good job with this. That's okay. But because you know, you see all of these names that he is called. Yeah. Okay. And then why is he only our savior instead of? Okay. Everybody? Well, number one, are you Jewish? No. Okay. So. He was a Jew. He is the king of the Jew, just like King David and all those. Okay? So in that sense, we can never be because we're not that way. Right. Okay? So I'd have to go back and look at Messiah and Christ and, yeah, how those all fit. It's just like when you read, uh, okay, now you're getting me off subject, but go over to Colossians chapter 1. I'll throw another little wrinkle in here. In my daily reading this week, I, re- I read this, and it says, chapter 1, verse 1, says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Okay, so it's from Paul to the Christians in Colossae. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that one people or two? one okay god our father and the lord jesus christ okay let's keep reading because we give thanks to god and the father of our lord jesus christ praying always for you so let's look at that first of all in verse two he says god our father and the lord jesus christ and then he says we give thanks to god and then the next one is the father so he flips them so, so you have God in three persons, and yet they're one God. Right. And you're asking me to explain that. I mean, you didn't, but my point is, I don't know how to explain that. So when we go back to Christ and the Messiah, I know there's differences because one's Jewish, a Jewish trend and one is a Gentile trend. How those all fit together, I don't know how to describe. Okay, So I don't know if that helps you out. In other words, you just I just said, spent four minutes saying, I don't know. <laughs> is it the difference then maybe between the physical kingdom and the spiritual? Okay, I think he's on it. Because the Jews get a physical kingdom and we have a spiritual relationship. They're going to populate okay. the universe. Right. Okay. So I don't know if that helps you out. But Sometimes the more I read, the less I know. I don't know how you guys are, and like I said in here, I'll just 
I'm just telling you what I've learned and picked up on. Just like I just read here in Colossians, I'm reading that, and I'm like, very interesting, because in one, one part it says that God is the Father, and the next one it says that God is the Son, and yet we know they're, we know they're together, and then we know they're connected. And Now, ask me to explain that. I have no idea. Okay. I, I don't think my brain can fathom it, okay? Well, I have to get somebody smarter than me. So, back to Acts 10, and we're going to wrap stuff up. Okay, so again... We're back to how did the gospel get spread? Okay, that's where we're all at. We've went to Antioch, uh, we went to uh, Rome, how it got there. So we're going to give one more possible illustration here. Verse 10, we're dealing with a man called Cornelius. It says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Has everybody heard this story? Okay, we've all been there. Got the t-shirt. And it says he was a centurion of the band called the, what's it say? Italian band. Okay. He's in charge of a group of soldiers that are called the Italian band or the Italian group. Where are they from? Italy somewhere. Okay. And so this guy ends up getting saved. What do you think he does with the gospel? Do you think any of those people in that group or him, do you think any of them get back to Rome? I don't know. I'm just throwing out illustrations that I'm seeing from the Word of God that says, how did the gospel get to Rome? We already said the, saw the first one. We, we see this guy here. Maybe he had some connections because this guy gets saved. Let's keep reading. He says he's a devout man. Oh, have we seen that yet today? Remember the Jews that was at Pentecost? They were devout men. But they were Jewish. Here's a guy that's a devout man, but he's a Gentile. And a little farther in the book of Acts. He's a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people. So he gave offerings to the people, to the Jewish people, and he prayed to God always. Now let me ask you a question. At this point right now... (laughs) Does this guy know Jesus as his Savior? No. Wait a minute. It says he's a devout man. It says he's given an offering to the church. It says he's helping the people out and he's praying. But he's not saved. Okay, let's keep going. And he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid. And he said, what is it? Lord... Big question mark. That's the same thing that, 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 that Saul told Jesus on the way to Damascus. He goes, Who art thou, Lord? He already had that idea, but he was asking. Same thing here. He says, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up before a memorial before God, and now send men to, one, to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. And he lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. So now it's not just him, he's got a soldier. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the morrow, as they went on their journey, and they drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry, and he would have eaten. But while he made ready, he fell into a trance. 
And uh, well, let's keep reading. And he saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending in him. And he had been a great sheep knit on four corners and let down to the earth. And wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Ooh, that sounds like Peter has just stuck his foot right in his mouth. Not so, Lord. Ooh. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call thou not common. And this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. And now while Peter doubted in himself this vision which he had seen, which he had, what it should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So what men? Who were they? There was two of them. And what were they? They were soldiers. They were soldiers from the Italian band. Okay. And called and they asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, verse 18, were lodged there. And while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Oh, it says here, three men. Uh, we'd have to go back and look at which three we're talking about. I'm assuming the two and, and Cornelius. And arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nations of the Jews was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. said, this guy, this dude, our, our, our commander has sent us because he, uh, he heard a, uh, a messenger from God to tell him to call and get thee. Verse 23, Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went their way with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and he had called together its kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him, him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. Now, don't the popes get all their stuff from Peter? But yet they'll do this. But Peter wouldn't. Okay. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know what? That how it is unlawful that a man that is a Jew to keep company or or unto or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you again, saying, As soon as I was sent for, I therefore uh, for what intent have you sent for me? And so Cornelius goes through the spiel here. And if we go through the rest of the chapter, and I'm going to stop because I'm out of time, but Cornelius ends up getting saved. It says his household gets saved. I imagine those two, two soldiers got saved. I can't say for sure. But my point is, what did this group do with the gospel once they got saved? It, perhaps they brought it back. So I'm just trying to give you from the Bible how the gospel got to Rome. Number one, through Acts chapter 2, through this guy, and we know for sure that Paul brought it there to, to help put it together. Okay. So again, went through a long spiel to get from Jerusalem to Rome. We saw last week, we're going to start looking at how the gospel got to Rome to England, and we talked about that just a little bit. And then we're going to start 
focusing on on England and, and Wales and how the gospel got from that to the United States where we are. That's what's interesting. That's our heritage. Our heritage went from Jerusalem to Rome to England to the United States. So hang with me in the next few weeks and we'll discuss that in more detail because that's fascinating. We'll talk about, like I said last week, we'll talk about Baptist people that was in George Washington's army that helped him fight for the Revolutionary War to help bring religious freedom to our country, which they're trying to take away from us right now. So let's pray and we'll get out of here. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for all the details in your word that show us uh, the truth, the, the things that have happened to get the gospel to, to around the world, but specifically to us. And Lord, I pray that we would be um, good caretakers of your word and yet live it out in our life and then speak it with what we say and then also help print it and get it around the world, Lord, so the gospel goes to everyone. So we just pray for that, pray for our service. Give us a great week this week and just help us to put our focus on you in Christ's name. Amen. You're welcome. Glad you're here.